Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are in the midst of a Sunday evening Father's Day edition. I hope you had a great Father's Day. If you're a father yourself, or you spent time celebrating with your father in your life, or if you were at the point in your life where you're remembering your father, I hope the day was as good for you as it could possibly be. Pretty good on our end. A little brunch today. Spent all day with my son. Plenty of time outside. Playing in the pool. Whole bunch of fun stuff. Uh, mother was great. She's fantastic. Cooked dinner, all that great stuff. Couldn't have been better. Get to spend tomorrow afternoon with my father to spend some time with him. So hopefully you get some sort of similar structure and, and your day was just pretty good. I know we talk at the top of this podcast about Brown's news of the day. We do not have much. And listen, for the next month and a half, uh, unless sound bites come out or somebody writes something stupid, we probably won't have great Brown's news of the day to open this podcast with. But uh, we will try to find some nugget. Mary Kay Cabot did note in her recent article, Hey Mary Kay, which she does all the time at Cleveland.com, that uh, Sheldon Richardson did end up taking less money to go to Minnesota, which leads me back to my point of believe, never believing Sheldon was coming back here because I think he was pretty bitter about not receiving what he thought was fair compensation for him taking a chance on Cleveland and coming to Cleveland when he did. He thought he was worth more, deserved more. And uh, I thought that from the beginning. That's why the people who kept talking about some sort of a agreement to come back together, it felt like that would have happened initially. There would have been some sort of, if Sheldon said, hey, let's find a spot I can stay on this roster for, it would have happened before the cut. It's so rare to see a guy get cut and then come back, re-sign with the same team not long after that in the same offseason. It's just kind of rare. So I get the hope was that he wouldn't get any kind of offers of value. I don't think he got as much as he was hoping for. Obviously, he was upset, bitter about Cleveland cutting him so late in the process after many free agency dollars were passed out. So that's already something he was upset about, missing out on the opportunity to really cash in. So him taking less money, not a ton less, but less money to go to Minnesota, not surprising news to me at all. So that's really the only thing that's been out there floated that I had not seen. So that's kind of your... Your big ticket news of the day. I don't have much to add to that. I still think the Browns can be just fine with the group they have at defensive tackle because I think they brought in bodies and, and players who are able to do some different things to what Sheldon was. And I like Sheldon. I wanted him to be a part of this 2021 group, but it's not the end of the world. I don't think it will make or break a single game with the guys they have on the team based on uh, based on what Sheldon was able to do. He would have been nice to have had here, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. And I obviously don't think Andrew Barry and the cast, Joe Woods especially, were losing any sleep over it either. Wanted him here, but the price was wrong. Tried to find the right price. He was offended by it. The timing, I get it. That's business in the NFL. So the Browns are watching their bottom line. Now Sheldon went out and watched his bottom line. He made a deal to go somewhere where he wanted a fresh start. Even though he's already played in Minnesota, he had success there. Wants to go back, like Zimmer's defense. He thinks he can fit in. Cool. Do your thing, man. The Browns have other options. They've went out and addressed it. We'll see if the address decisions they made are worthwhile, but 
you know, time will tell on that. I like the guys they have. So let's transition to our guest, Sam Penix. He's at Sam Penix on, twi- on, on Twitter, obviously. Uh, he needs an underscore there between the names. So at Sam underscore Penix. He's a clutch points NFL. Does NFL draft with the first pick. He's a, he does data analyst work with Pro Football Focus. Featured on Dog Pound Daily. I hope I got it all right. Sam, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I just have to ask, was that a little nudge to me? Am I going to be the one to write something stupid for you to talk about? Hey, you know, the door's open. I'm always willing to talk about something stupid that's written. I, I have no discriminatory presence about that. So Hey, I've, I've, um, I've been told things I've, I've written are stupid that I didn't think were stupid. So, Well, listen, let's talk. I'm sure you've been called stupid about your opinion on David Njoku before because people are way on the broad spectrum about David. They can't. He's gone through this this weird circular, uh, uh, I guess, fan-based opinion of his time with this. So I wanted to have you on to talk about David because I, I don't think he's been discussed enough this off season because it's a really important season. They picked up his – well, okay, we'll backtrack it a little bit. Has two great first – his first two seasons are great. I, I think for where he was going at his age, I think it was a very – uh, very nice progression for him from year one to year two, and and I thought he was trending toward creeping into the some of the best tight ends in the NFL. Has injury issues in 2019, which was a wasted year in general. 2020 dealt with more injury issues and an offense that was completely different than what he was accustomed to. That, as we all know, takes a little bit of time to get used to this offense for a tight end because they're asking the tight end to do some pretty crazy things. I mean, they want you in some situations to reach on zone blocking schemes, wide zone. You're ending up reaching on guys like J.J. Watt, you know, people who are pretty tough to block as a tight end. So there's a big learning curve there, and I do think he lost a lot of opportunity in this fourth year. So they pick up his fifth-year option. He was in the realm of being wanting to be traded at various points over the last year and a half. Now seems to be all in. He's in Austin, Texas. He's with Baker Mayfield. He's a part of the group throwing. Winning, listen, I always say, Sam, winning helps cure all issues. That's the fact. But he's going into a really important year because if he's going to hit the free agency market at the young age of 25, which is what he'll be after this year, still playing this year on 24, which is crazy to think about. Some guys get drafted at 24. He's almost completed his full rookie cycle at age 24. That's how important. We talk about the age thing with the draft. That's why the Browns draft young. And some teams do, some teams don't, whatever. But that's what you're looking at here. So you're of the belief that you think the Browns should try to lock him up at, at whatever his rate is right now, try to lock him up before the season, and at some point down the line here, at the end of this season or whatever, try to move on from Austin Hooper and let David... I could be misquoting you, Sam. You could have different opinion here. But the kind of idea would be to, to make David the focus of your tight end room, Harrison Bryant's your two guy, draft a third guy, and at the end of the year let Austin Hooper go because there are outs in his contract. If that's the case, sell me on why David is that guy, if not, correct me and tell me what you would really like with the tight end room. Well, I think there's there's certainly an argument to do that. Uh, the 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 biggest I guess crux of that issue is is how Hooper bounces back in 2021. You know, we we know he dealt with the injuries, uh, the, the appendicitis, all that stuff. You know, into a new offense, but still, this is a guy who made the Pro Bowl in in 2018 and 2019. And I know we don't really you know view the pro bowl as this you know what it used to be it's not a great measure of how good a player is but his production was very good with the falcons and he was the third option in that offense but the falcons obviously threw the ball a lot more than the browns did in 2020 so hooper's production went down but his not only his production but his efficiency like he didn't do very much 
with the targets that he did get. And, you know, his hands were not nearly as good as they were made out to be as, as they were with the Falcons. And, you know, every seemed like every single time he caught the ball, he would immediately tip over and, and get tackled. Like he provided no explosion, nothing after the catch. And that was really frustrating because, you know, when you make a guy the highest paid player at his position ever, you expect a lot more than what he gave the team. So he really needs to have a, a, a big bounce back year. And, and that's a that's a huge part of unlocking what this offense can be is getting better production out of that tight end group. But, but beyond that, like if, you know, if, if he doesn't or, you know, if, if he's decent, you can move on from him after the season and you, you'll end up having paid him about twenty three million dollars over two years, which isn't atrocious, you know, for a for a tight end with his track record prior to coming to Cleveland. So the issue there is that you're not really saving any money by cutting him. It's it's pretty much a, a complete wash. Uh, whether you have him on the roster or not, so the the uh, the benefit there of, of moving on from him would be the opportunity cost, and I think that's where Najoku comes in. That's where Harrison Bryant and the 2022 tight end class comes in. Um, you know, because if if Hooper doesn't play great, if he if he's not living up to his contract, and perhaps they extend Najoku prior or Harrison Bryant comes on strong then maybe it would be better to get somebody younger, more explosive, more versatile onto the field, even if you're not saving any money by doing it. And I think that Najoku certainly deserves to be not only extended, but the tight end won this upcoming season based on how he played last year. And like, like you said, he wanted to be traded last offseason, and it's certainly understandable why he would have made that request because... You know, he, he missed pretty much that entire season in 2019. And then the Browns not only go out and make Hooper the highest paid tight end ever, they draft another guy relatively high at the beginning of the fourth round. So that if that doesn't signal we're not satisfied with you, I don't know what does. So he requested the trade and, and they, they declined. And instead of, you know, making a, a big deal out of it and forcing his way to another team, he put his head down, he worked his tail off, and I think he ended up becoming the all-around best tight end on the roster. And that that includes not only his ability to to threaten the defense in the passing game or make those athletic plays that we, we've seen him do time and time again, but it, his blocking was excellent all year as well, and that was... That was the biggest issue to his game over his first few seasons was his blocking, and you know that was that wasn't who he was coming out. Um, everyone knew that, but that was an area that he really needed to improve on, and he didn't really show that pre- previous to 2020. So that was really good to see him become a really strong blocker, and they did put a lot onto his plate in that in that role. You know, he was going one on one against the the T.J. Watts and the the other top edges of the league. And that says a lot about how much they trust him. And I think they're only going to, you know, give him a bigger role moving forward because of how much they're paying him. So I think 2020 was definitely his best season as a pro, even if the basic stats, the production may not show it. And I think because of that, if you can lock him up on a, on an extension right now, it's not going to be as expensive as, 
as maybe it should be because he doesn't have that production to back it up. If he puts together a really big year this season, like I think he can if he's given the opportunity, then you're you're looking at a, a really nice contract for him, which he probably deserves, but he may end up having to get that from another team because you can't really afford to pay you know, him and Hooper long-term at this point, um, especially with those other contracts that are that are kind of coming up, you know, the extensions for Mayfield, potentially Chubb, Ward, um, and then Miles Garrett's deal skyrocketing to over $30 million in 2023. So they don't have unlimited funds, but I think Njoku is a guy who makes a lot of sense. You know, we Andrew Barry has talked multiple times about wanting to extend players early, and I think that getting someone like Njoku right on the cusp of breaking out before he actually breaks out, I think would be a really smart move for them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Njoku's interesting because he might... There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack on his side of things where... He might say, I want to bet on myself. I, I want to you know, go the Baker Mayfield route. I want to prove that I'm worth more than maybe an early contract extension looks like for him. I think the Brown side is they would still like to see him prove more value. I could certainly see that. Uh, I, could, I could also see them saying maybe we think Hooper's ready to bounce back after last year, especially considering what Hooper went through midseason. And they might just want more data. They might want more evidence, just like they want more data and evidence on Baker Mayfield. And uh, probably will want more data and evidence from, from Denzel Ward. I almost think they're viewing these things like a package where they have an opportunity to see all this information they need to see and then have another year to figure out which guys are, are most important. Because most teams kind of stagger these things, Sam, where it's like, they have, at least it feels like to me, we, we don't get into this conversation much about contract extensions in Cleveland. It's so rare. It feels like most teams are staggering these deals. Well, it's like with Cleveland, it feels like all of these guys are going to be up at the same time. And then it becomes, well, who do you want to keep out of these guys? Well, you don't want to end up keeping the wrong guys. So data evidence is really important when you're making these decisions. And I think that that's probably weighing on their minds in the front office as they're having these conversations with, with agents about, you know, making sure that that guys' expectations aren't out of whack before the season, and then also realizing, hey, we can also look at extending somebody in season two. There are ways they can do that if they start, you know, say Wyatt Teller gets off to another great start. You're like, okay, this guy's the real deal. That kind of thing can happen, so on and so forth. So, you know, with David, I, I just hope the opportunity's there. I, I don't know, man. I feel like they're, and we're going to talk more about a wide receiver here in a minute, but 
People keep talking about how this offense is going to change, Sam, and I, 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 it's all conjecture. We're all guessing at this point. But if anything were to change, I think you would see an uptick in 11 personnel because, you know, between the two LSU guys at the front of the depth chart and then Rashard Higgins, who we all like, we're going to talk about Donovan Peoples-Jones later. I like Kadero Hodge. And, oh, yeah, they drafted this rookie they want to get on the field. You got to find snaps, man. <laughs> so that's that's a big thing I was talking with Doug Marie about the other day is is they have a lot of talent that they want to use. It's just it might not be crystal clear how they're going to use it. So what I do worry about from David's perspective, and maybe this is something that he would consider when an early contract extension discussion comes up, if it does, if it has, we're not confirming that it has happened. We're just it's just kind of spitballing here. Is do you think there's going to be enough opportunity for him to have a, a fifty catch, seven hundred and fifty yard season? You know, like I don't know that that's there. Yeah, I mean it's a valid concern. Um, we saw the offense evolve in a few different ways last year, as far as you know the blocking schemes they employed, um, the especially the the usage of of personnel late in the season. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with with how well Baker Mayfield was playing and how he was improving. You know, the, it seemed like the more they they allowed him to do, the better the offense performed. So, you know, I would expect them to keep that trend going. But like you said, if they're playing more eleven, then there are fewer tight end opportunities there. And I think that it's it's none of this is like a no brainer. Like there's there's no obvious answer to any of these questions and that's something that you know the coaching staff and the the front office is, is really going to have to struggle with here through training camp and and the early part of the season is how they're going to they're going to give all of these guys opportunities who need them and again like you said they a lot of these guys need snaps because they have to prove themselves worthy of of sticking around or not and it's it's just, it's just really difficult to do everything because you can't do everything, and mm-hmm. it's they've got to prioritize some different things, you know. And, and all the while they have to win, right? Like that's that's number <laughs> yeah. one. So yeah. it's it's a bigger I'm, challenge I'm than people that, think, right? Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. it's it's a big challenge that these guys have got to figure out, you know, they've got important decisions to make on Richard Higgins. They got to figure out if the two LSU players are worth keeping around at their price point. They obviously have to see if Austin Hooper's worth his price point after 2021. Does David worth extending, but maybe David doesn't get enough targets to prove on the open market. He's worth this, that, or the other. I don't know. There's a lot to prove there. And then, and again, I, I do love, obviously, I do love having the ability to go big one week and then spread them out, go 11 personnel the next week if you're playing a team with a weaker secondary or the depth of the secondary is bad. But they also have to figure out who they are because there's that element too. You you can say, uh, I would rather be okay at everything than great at one thing, but I don't fall in line with that. you got to figure out what you're about in the NFL and you got to be really good at it. So I think they'll be fine. I think this is creating panic. But I do think that some of these decisions they make are, are that are going to have to be made might not be as easy to pinpoint the, the dollar figure as some of us think, especially if Nick splits carries again. If Nick goes into a year and he goes into contract negotiations pointing out, hey, man, look at this data here that tells you I'm the highest yards created per carry, you know, uh, but but you only ran for 1,100 yards two years in a row. Well, you don't give me Derrick Henry carries. That's where a big sticking point could come in. So... 
there's a lot to unpack. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we've, We've talked about these contracts ad nauseum now for for months. We're going to probably keep talking about them because it's just something that we don't know how it's going to play out, and it's hugely interesting. I guess everybody probably wants all of these guys back. Do you have any hot takes, Sam, on guys maybe that is a little bit of an unpopular opinion on who should be back or who shouldn't? Well, I mean, if you you just look at data, then data says that the guard position is is one of the least valuable spots on on offense and we're already paying Joel Batonio quite a bit and if Wyatt Teller keeps up his level of play like he may price himself out of the Browns range quite easily you know are you going to pay two guards that much and if if you're extending Teller, you're probably going to have to move on from Batonio or at least cut his pay significantly, Um, especially if you want to keep around Jack Conklin for longer. So there are a lot of variables, um, a lot of variables that depend on other variables. And, you know, for a guy like Teller, I mean, we say that guard isn't that important and that Nick Chubb is, is the entire running game, but I mean, look at how the offense performed in those games that Teller missed. Like, it was ridiculous, the drop-off of of that running game. And Chris Hubbard filled in fantastically for him. So Teller makes a, a gigantic impact for this team. And they need to figure out, you know, why was that? Was it really because he was so good? You know, why are we so reliant on a single guard you know, to make our entire offense go, or is there something else that was that was at play there? So, it's it's definitely a, a an issue there because I think Teller, he's he fits the profile of, of the guys that they want to extend, but is he going to be too expensive? And is there a suitable replacement on the roster for him? And I think there is because you have you have Drew Forbes there, who. You know, if he didn't opt out last year, I think he could have won the starting job. As good as Teller was, Forbes was expected to to come back and, and have a big year because he was one of the team's five best offensive linemen in that 2019 preseason. I think I said he opted out of 2019. Opted out of 2020, obviously. Anyways, he he came out of you know small school, so the the game was obviously moving way too fast for him. Clearly in the preseason. And yet he still played better than most of the people in that room. And, you know, he probably would have gotten some good playing time as a rookie had he not gotten hurt. So he's a guy with a ton of potential. He's a perfect scheme fit, freak athlete, really mean and nasty. So he's he's got a lot of potential. And these are the kinds of, of issues, I guess, problems that good teams face. Do we re- need to keep this guy at a really high price or are we good enough at drafting and bringing in talent that we have someone who can replace him pretty well and maybe be just as good or you know can you get 80 percent of the production for 50 percent of the cost you know stuff like that so obviously you don't want to count on yourself replacing players through the draft you know 100 percent of the time because chances are you're probably not going to be any better at drafting than other teams, so, and that that's a that's something that Paul D. Podesta has has echoed multiple times that they don't feel they're any smarter than anyone else. So, 
it's it's always difficult to let go of a known commodity uh, before um, replacing him with a with a guy who's never played or has played very little. But then again, with someone like Teller, you don't have a ton of data to go off of, like you said. So I think this upcoming season is going to be a real test of their strategy in terms of contract extensions and how aggressive they want to go towards that extend guys early end of the spectrum or waiting for more data to make a more well-informed choice. Yeah, there's there's like 12 huge decisions to be made that that will can either come before we get to training camp or in season or right after the season before yep. free agency. So, as excited as we are about this season and we're not playing the look past this season game, like there's so much to look forward to. This team as we know it's presently constructed could look extremely different come 2022. It's just the fact of the matter. Like there's just so many these decisions that we've been talking about now for like 2 years are going to they're going to arrive in the Browns lap pretty quickly. And I know they're planning on this. They're smart people. They 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 have a plan. We'll see what that plan is. We're talking about what we think the plan might be. That plan will unfold. It's just it's just uh it's going to be here before we know it, and the team's going to look different, and fans have to get comfortable with maybe a player or two that there's a proven commodity. I guess the thing that's so hard is Browns fans are, are so uh, unaccustomed to actual legitimately good talent arriving in Cleveland, performing in Cleveland, that tough decisions about talent getting away is going to weigh really hard, and people are going to be really upset without probably understanding the big picture. So. Uh, we'll talk about contracts probably 72 more times before the season gets here, but that's just uh, I just want to get Sam's opinion on it because I think it's pretty important stuff to consider from all angles. You know, over the course of this off season, I want I want to get a lot of different opinions on this because I'm trying to bring to you, the listener, as many different angles to think about your opinion on it because I think that's what we should do with anything in life is. Look at other people's opinions, weigh it, talk, think about it. Maybe they're making a better decision than I am or vice versa and learn from it or, you know, continue to stick with your opinion, whatever it is. That's what we try to do. A couple of big pieces of news. I guess it's secondhand news, Sam. I wasn't at camp. They, they they kind of shuttle the people covering it live. They put them in a corner and, and you, you try to pull as many pieces of information as you can. A big one was Tommy Togi. I had a pretty good performance for whatever it's worth. They're in helmets and shirts and shorts, man. Like, Okay, that's cool, better than him looking like he's lost. But um, I think you look at, I always talk about OTA's minicamp, looking at where guys are lining up and questions that are being answered by the coaching staff. A big one for me was uh, Greg Newsom being able to play in the slot. I think Joe Woods answered that with way more optimism than I expected. You know, they said that they put him in the slot just to see what it would look like, how he would feel, and he responded really well to it, to the point that it sounds like going into training camp, they're going to give it a test try. I think that we all are very afraid of one snap and Troy Hill is hurt and all of a sudden we're back to MJ Stewart covering Tyreek Hill. It's a flashback none of us want to think about. I like MJ Stewart as a depth player, but you don't want to put your, your season in the hands of that guy being on the field. It just it's, It is what it is. Um, so I like that. It alleviates some concern for me if he's able to play. And I don't expect Greg Newsom to thrive inside, and I don't think the long portion of his career – will be spent inside. But in my opinion, if you can have a healthy, greedy, productive on the corner, outside, have Newsom with the ability to play inside if you want to play four corners. People talk a lot about three safeties, but people don't talk enough about four corners. 
because those guys can match up really well, especially teams like Pittsburgh who play a lot of 10 personnel and they play four wide receivers. You have to have that flexibility. So having Greg uh, with an ability to play inside, is but we've seen Denzel do it occasionally. I don't love putting him in there, but he can do it a little bit. So I feel less... Uh, uneasy about the slot corner position. I think one thing we all talk about, or the consensus across those covering the team, is that a corner would be another thing to go out and get. I know our Stephen Thomas just wrote about free agency, what's left out there, who you could potentially go get. He mentioned corner as a position. I, I think I feel better that if Greg Newsom proves to them in camp preseason, hey, I can be in the slot if need be, that helps alleviate a lot of stress for me. Obviously, you're, you're, you're needing him to hold up playing a more physical position, and you're needing Greedy Williams to hold up and prove that he's right again. But I do feel better about that. How, how, does, that, uh, how does that piece of news sort of settle with you? Yeah, I mean, versatility is never a bad thing, right? You know, it's especially with how, in uh, not injury-prone, but that, that cornerback room at the moment has, has a concerning injury history. Of, of all those those top three players, so chances are they're gonna, you know, someone's gonna miss time this season. So you you would like to have depth there that you're you're comfortable with, and I think that if everyone is healthy, then you have three guys who I'd feel good about starting on the outside, and then you have Hill, who's you know been one of the best slot corners in the entire league over the past year or so. And then you have Newsom, who is, you know, the the rookie that we think can be really special, but you don't want to rely on him too much as a rookie because rookie corners tend to struggle. So it's definitely good that they're experimenting. I I see absolutely no downside to that, especially with how difficult the slot position is to play. Like, I know if you you grow up playing Madden, like the slot corner is for your third best corner, but that's not how the NFL works, right? It's it's a very difficult position, and having two guys who can play it at least, not to mention Delpit and JOK as well. Like that's that's a lot of quality depth there that I think is is super important as well. So I'm definitely happy that they're they're going that route. I I would prefer him to be an be an outside guy primarily, and I I would expect him to. But hey. The more things he can do, the more he can contribute in, in more positions, the better, because there's a lot of talent in that room, at least on the surface. You know, the, the depth, I think, is, is somewhat lacking on the on the overall look at it. But as far as the guys who we think are going to be big contributors, there are, there are a lot of good players there. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to earn their playing time. So the more you can do for this team, the better, for sure, especially especially in a defense like Joe Woods that that does so many different things. So, I'm happy with that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it can be helpful. We'll we'll see how that story unfolds. Another another story is Donovan Peoples-Jones emerging. Thought he ran a limited route tree last year obviously as they brought him along. He seems to be a guy that they think is going to emerge to the point that I think I saw you put out something today with feeling maybe comfortable with him as your second wide receiver by the time next year comes. I I I think there's I think you would agree there's plenty to prove there. He has to he has to show he can do more than just be a vertical route runner. Has to prove he can separate consistently. I think he works his butt off. I don't think there's any doubt about that dating back to his high school days and his time at Michigan. 
I certainly think there's there's levels of talent that can keep getting unlocked with consistent quarterback play. So I like it. I I, I just don't know if I'm quite there yet. So sell me on where why you think Peoples Jones is going to take off this year. Yeah, I mean there is certainly projection there, but you can make the argument that he's the well. There's probably a pretty good argument you can make that he's the second most talented receiver in that room. Um, and, uh, you know, talent obviously doesn't translate immediately to production, but I think he came a lot along quite a bit quicker than most people expected him to. You know, and some of that was by necessity because he was he was thrown in, be, you know, because of those injuries. But I think he had a he had a much better rookie season than I was expecting him to. Um, and, you know, you could definitely see him becoming more comfortable as the weeks went on. And he's, he was a guy who you could look to, to make a big play. Um, I, I know I can remember a few plays that, that didn't count that he, he made or nearly made. And it was, they were just really impressive catches, acrobatic plays. Um, consistency, like you said, is, is the, the thing with him. It's, it's consistently being able to separate underneath not just on those go routes um he's got to be able to prove that he can run that wider route tree that that uh is necessary to play on the outside full time uh but based on you know the i don't want to obviously read too much in in a training camp but the rumblings are 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 glowing reviews of him and i think it's it's not unrealistic to expect him to make a, a sizable jump in year two because I mean, no offense to the Michigan program, but last year was pretty much his first year of quality coaching since high school, right? So yeah. it's, you know, it's there. he's a a ball of talent, one of the most explosive receivers we've seen in the past two decades plus, um, you know, ever if you, if you go just by combine scores. So he's a guy who you know, could change a lot about this receiving core if he is able to reach his potential. And I, I wouldn't expect that to, to happen in year two, but I think he can definitely take a jump to where you can you can say, I would feel comfortable with him being the secondary option in this offense. Um, I don't know that I would bet on it happening, but I think I think he's definitely going to have a bigger role in year two because um, because he's gonna he's gonna develop and he's he's going to prove that he can do more and take on a larger role. So this offense definitely needs to get more explosive in order to to get to the Super Bowl. And he was one of the few guys last year who provided that explosiveness, uh, despite his lack of experience. So getting to play with more talent around him, being more established in that offense, and, and having a a good quarterback for a full season, I think is going to do some good things for him. He's another guy who like David, we talked about earlier is somebody that it comes down to opportunity. Now with the comfort of, of Donovan, maybe he doesn't perform on the stat sheet crazy well, but as a guy who they watch continue to make strides at practice, and then they make a decision at wide receiver come the end of 2021 or going into the draft. Maybe they don't draft somebody maybe as high as you thought. That's when you can tell yourself they really like Donovan. And we'll see, we've seen some flashes. He's made downhill downfield plays on the football. Tracked it really well. I thought he caught the football pretty well. The routes were solid. Uh, just need to see more. You need to see more. You need to see expansion in what he does. You need to see consistent separation. But again, 
what does the opportunity look like for a player like that? That's what we have to see. And sometimes game by game dictation happens there, and there's nothing that we can do. So I don't know. He's not going to get 70 targets this year. Does he get? Does he get maybe 40? Do we see an uptick there? I don't know because there's a lot of mouths to feed. So the offense is the offense's ability to give people opportunity to showcase their skill will be uh, will be one of the important and probably under-discussed topics is is how do they spread out distribution of the football. So Sam, this was fun, man. We could probably keep going for another half hour and talk about more and more guys, but we got to wrap it up. I appreciate you, man. Make sure you find Sam at Sam underscore Penix on Twitter. Uh, again, buddy, I appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's a wrap. We are going to uh, shift this week. We're going to start looking at AFC contenders. I talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to start looking at contenders that could be in the Browns' way to win the conference. I think we've looked at the division. What does it look like? We think the Browns are real serious Super Bowl contenders. So in the mix of looking at if they're Super Bowl contenders, we should consider who they're going to run into and learn a bit about those teams. So as we wrap up June, we're going to focus a little bit on those contenders and how the Browns ultimately shape up against them, what they look like Changes they made, coaching staff, all of that. Same, some of the same things. Not as detailed as we did the division, but I do want to talk to them. So keep your eye out for that. Have a great Monday, a great week whenever you're listening to this pod. Appreciate Sam once again for coming on, spending time with us on a Sunday night. Again, happy Father's Day to everybody. Appreciate you listening to this pod, continuing to support it. Spread the word, download it, subscribe to it, share it, all of that stuff. Uh, and always leaving reviews is very, very nice of you. I appreciate those. It's been some really great reviews. So, again, guys, appreciate your time. And until we talk next time, as usual, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.